Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 335 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Today's episode is brought to you by Ministry Boost and by How to Lead Through Crisis, my brand new free crisis course. And my guests are Scott Beck. He has, well, I'll give you his bio in a little bit, but one of the most fascinating resumes I've ever seen. Um, he took uh, Blockbuster, for example, from a single store to 5,000 stores. Basically, he has spent his life scaling things. And right now, he's scaling a company called Glue, which is helping the church really access big data for the very first time to be able to do ministry better. And I've also got on the show David Kinneman. A lot of you know David. He's been on many times before. Uh, David and I, and actually Scott in the background, uh, launched a new podcast recently called Church Pulse Weekly. If you haven't checked it out yet, we'll explain a little bit more about that in this episode. David is president of the Barna Group, and this is really cool. How many people can say this? David has interviewed more than 1.5 million individuals over his career. And uh, we talk about how actually we take all the capacity that David used to have as a pollster and in the last month have put it in the hands of pastors. So uh, this is kind of cool. If you're a church leader, we're going to take you under the hood, talk about how learning more about your people and learning more about your community, better data leads to better decisions. Talk all about crisis leadership. Scott has been through his share so here's a, a brief resume for Scott. This, uh, this is fascinating, and we go into it, so I'll, I'll let him tell the story more. But yeah, he uh, was the first franchisee for Blockbuster, scaled it to a store number 5,000, sold it to Viacom. He is the chairman CEO of Boston Market, took that to a national chain level. Uh, also launched the Einstein Brothers Bagel Corp. Do you know those guys? They're in like every airport kiosk everywhere. Uh, he is a founding investor of Ancestry.com, HomeAdvisors.com, uh, Tango Group, and most recently, Glue. He's got hundreds of software engineers actually building the biggest database that'll serve the church in the history of the church. Yeah, so this is really fascinating. And we talk about how data makes better decision-making, crises he has been through. And then uh, I'm pulling them like everybody else and what do you think the new normal is going to look like? So I think you'll find this to be a fascinating episode. And I hope you guys are doing okay. I mean, my goodness, we are, what, about six weeks now into the crisis. And it looks like we're settling in for, I'm calling it a disruption, really. I, I do not think things will go back to normal. Uh, looks like this is going to be a little bit longer uh, than any of us had hoped for. And of course, some fundamental changes are underway. At the end of this podcast in the What I'm Thinking About segment, since we're all online content producers, I am going to share the top seven reasons everyone ignores the online content you produce. So I'll share some of that. And in the meantime, yeah, I just want you to know, really trying to get on your side, uh, sort of the headquarters for all of this is kerryneuhoff.com. Uh, we are producing brand new content on a regular basis to help you lead through the crisis. And uh, every single church leader wants to see their ministry grow. And it's a whole new day. Uh, yet too many churches, I was answering a call on this just recently, undervalue the one area that can have the greatest impact. It's training your first-time guests. And obviously, everything has changed in the whole new economy. But, um, you know, all these new views that you've got, 
How are you retaining new families? Or do you even know how well you're doing? My friends over at Ministry Boost just released an exciting new resource called the New Family Retention Plan. So they specialize in coaching and training family ministry leaders, and they've developed this five-part strategy for new family retention. You can grab the turnkey solution for just $25 and start working on your plan now. So Ministry Boost understands COVID-19 has changed everything. So they're offering a free resource just for listeners of this podcast that will help you better engage and connect families during the season. It's got some practical ideas on how your church can navigate our current reality with an eye toward the new normal after COVID-19. So you want to access any of this, head on over to ministryboost.org forward slash carry. That's ministryboost.org forward slash carry. Thanks to our partners at Ministry Boost for coming alongside families. And that's what I'm trying to do as well. So I've got a brand new course called How to Lead Through Crisis. You can find it and get into it absolutely free at howtoleadthroughcrisis.com. We have had over 7,000 leaders enroll in that course in the last couple of weeks, which has been exceptional. Uh, Or super easy, just text the word crisis to 33777. That's 33777. Text the word crisis. You can get in. Obviously, nobody knows exactly how to lead through crisis because it's a crisis, but there are clues and there are principles. So I took 25 years of what I've learned about leadership and crisis leadership combined with the best insights I've gathered from other leaders and put them together in the course. We cover how to have a non-anxious presence as a leader, how to make decisions when you don't have all the information. Uh, We talk about what happens when digital becomes the default, talk about how to lead a remote team, how to lead a remote church. What does all of that look like? And you'll hear uh, in this interview, David Scott and I talk about this new database. Yeah, well, you get access to that for free uh, in the course by going to howtoleadthroughcrisis.com. So make sure you check that out. And uh, I'll be back at the end of this episode with a what I'm thinking about. We'll talk about how to get your content noticed online. If you enjoy this episode, subscribe, leave a rating, review, and thanks for hanging in there. We are behind you 100%. So without much further ado, here is my conversation with uh, Scott Beck and David Kinneman. Well, David and Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Delighted to be here, Kerry. Yeah. So uh, I know a lot of my listeners are familiar with David, president of Barna Group. And uh, David, you and I now do a new show together called Church Pulse Weekly. Plus, we've had some projects in the past and you've been a a multiple time guest, a frequent flyer, as we like to say on this show. Um, But I imagine, Scott, that like me, you're a leader I've gotten to know over the last little while. So I'd love to start with you. And uh, you have one of the most fascinating leadership journeys I think I've encountered in my limited time in leadership, but you've got a career path that took you through Blockbuster, Einstein Brothers Bagels, Boston Markets, Ancestry.com, Tango Group, and Glue, and I'm omitting some companies along the way. So can you tell us a little bit, and I'm particularly interested in, you know, you were franchise owner number one, I think, at Blockbuster, which uh, is fascinating. So just uh, give us the, the thumbnail version of your leadership trajectory. Yeah, it's been an exciting, um, an exciting four decades. Um, you know, Teresa and I uh, met when we were 14 years old, and uh, we've been we've been on this journey together uh, for uh, you know a long time. And um, you know, just had a great great fortune of being born into an entrepreneurial family. My dad was an entrepreneur um, and was in the garbage business, so I grew up uh, you know on on the garbage truck with him. 
um, learning what did it mean to be able to, you know, sweep the corners and the center of the room will take care of itself. And, you know, no, no job is done until the tools are cleaned and put away. So, mm-hmm. you know, get a lot of those early entrepreneurial, uh, experiences and had the good fortune of walking into the very first blockbuster video store on day four. Uh, I was member number 91. And no as way. Re- yeah. So <laughs> what did I, you rent? <laughs> I don't remember, but I do remember this, that I thought this looks like IBM and McDonald's got together and built a video store. And I thought there should be a lot of these. Really? Now what, okay, I got to break that down. What tripped in your mind to make you think that? Because you got to think pre-Blockbuster as we know it. This is just like local video store, right? That rents, what, VHS tapes at that time? Yeah, so, you know, it it was, at that time, there were a lot of mom and pop video stores. And, you know, the guy that, that created it was a guy named David Cook. And he was just a systems thinker and he was really brilliant. He had never been in the video business before, and he decided that he wanted to use his technology of barcoding uh, to be able to advance a business. And he selected the video business, and he built a beautiful store, solved a lot of the problems of the mom and pops, and it was really well done to begin with. And, you know, I just noticed it as a good opportunity. I was in the investment business, so, you know, I was just excited to be able to potentially get involved in something early on that could really grow grow and scale. So I Hmm. became the first franchisee. All right. So you bought his store or you just started a second one down the road or a different city? Uh, He kept those stores. They were company-owned stores. And then we got the franchise rights for Chicago and Atlanta and Detroit and Milwaukee and Minneapolis. And we bought those franchise rights. And then we just started opening some franchise stores. Hmm. Okay, so you did that, and then uh, how long were you part of You sold to, uh, well, you eventually sold it in the 90s, right? Yeah, so I I was involved with that and was the first franchisee and then got introduced. uh, I introduced it to my dad's uh, partner from the garbage business, uh, Wayne Heisinger, who was a co-founder of Waste Management with, uh, with my dad. So I knew Wayne, you know, as an uncle. He was like Uncle Wayne to me. And so I introduced him to Blockbuster about 18 months in and he liked it and he bought Cook out and he became my new franchisor and then he bought our stores back and I became the president and chief operating officer working for Wayne. And so that was when we grew it from, you know, at that point, store one to store 5,000 and then sold it in 1993 to Viacom. Wow, that's incredible. So Wayne Heisinga, listen, I'm not a sports guy, so don't don't ridicule me, but he owns some uh, professional sports franchises, doesn't he? Yeah, well, Wayne, you know, he's passed uh, yeah. since, uh, but when when in his prime, he was the owner of the Dolphins and of the Panthers and of the Marlins, all in, in South Florida. So Wayne was just an amazing entrepreneur. And um, a great, a great boss. I learned so many things from him. Uh, and, you know, we just had a great run at Blockbuster. This is the hard part of having two of you on this show because David could easily <laughs> occupy 90 minutes of fresh content and Scott will have to do a solo show. But I got to ask you, what was one of the top lessons you learned from Wayne? You know, <clears throat> Wayne was uh, a consummate 
deal guy. Okay. Mm. Uh, you know, at waste management, they bought a thousand different companies. Literally in, in, in the first year, they bought 168 companies the first year they went public. And so Wayne, he, he understood deals. And I always, I always liked his approach to deals and that was use logical structures, create alternatives, try to talk yourself out of your first choice and never bluff. And that, that, mm. that was great lesson that I learned from Wayne and is, you know, I've used it ever since. Well, we got ground to cover, but I got to come back to that in a solo episode down the road because that in itself is probably 90 minutes. Okay, let's pick up the journey. Einstein Brother Bagel, Brothers Bagels, uh, Boston Markets, Ancestry, Tango, Glue, like take us on the tour. Yeah, so, you know, we developed a, a competency to be able to create infrastructures to help other people be able to build great businesses, whether it was infrastructures that allowed video store people to build great blockbuster video stores on our infrastructures. We did the same thing with, with Boston market. We, we bought Boston market, created great infrastructures, had franchisees start businesses, uh, on top of our platform. And it was at Boston market that we also then created the Einstein's concept. Uh, same thing, infrastructures to be able to help people scale, um, you know, uh, a bagel store. So it's whether it's a bagel store or a chicken store, a video store, or at the end of the day, it's a lot of the same capabilities that we brought forward here at glue to be able to help scale churches, to hmm. be able to help scale recovery centers, right? The, the patterns are, are in many respects, very similar at the, at the, at the basic concept. Wow. So can you give us uh, just the elevator pitch slash vision behind glue, which you founded about a decade ago? Scott, is that right? Yeah, we, uh, Teresa and I, we founded glue about, uh, 2010 and it was, um, you know, it really, uh, we, we had been through our foundation serving into, uh, the, the church ecosystem and the parachurch and the faith and the recovery ecosystems for 20 years at that point in time through our private foundation, our family foundation. And we just decided in 2010 to not just be donors, but to actually put our full-time energy into being able to serve into uh, those very important, we call them personal growth ecosystems. Hmm. And so that's what we did. We jumped in there and Glue provides infrastructures and technologies to be able to allow churches or recovery centers uh, or people that serve churches and recovery centers to be able to scale, to be able to get the, the economies of scale of technology and to be able to, you know, use platforms to operate one, one, one together with another. Hmm. And then um, Glue has been working together with Barna. Actually, we had a pretty providential dinner on uh, March 9th in Atlanta. We were all there for a webinar and... Uh, it was, it was like David said, you free for dinner and you got in my car, Scott, and we hadn't really spent a lot of time together. And then you, David, myself, and Brad Hill, who's now with Glue, we went out for uh, dinner in Alpharetta and said, hey, it'd be fun to do some projects together at some time. And then a week later, we're on the phone launching some new stuff for this crisis together, right? Which is a lot of fun. And so how, David, are Barna and Glue connected together in a really... I think fun, cool way. 
Yeah, well, I'll go back to the beginning, uh, which was I'd been hearing about Scott and the team at Glue for a number of years. Uh, we intersect on different different levels, different projects, different churches, different partners that we work with. Oh, you know, you got to meet Scott, a good friend of mine, Chris Kopka, uh, had been saying for years, you got to meet Scott Beck. And um, so that was, you know, sort of my introduction was sort of uh, uh, introductions through 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 mutual friends. Um, and for a long time, we sort of held off meeting. I think Scott would say the same thing. It's like we we both knew about the other's work, but we sort of felt like, ah, oh, we're, we're both really busy. And, you know, like everyone is, especially now in COVID world. Uh, but we were holding that off. And then um, uh, as as uh, chance would have it, or I would say as as uh, the Lord would have it, last summer, um, we vacationed in, in Boulder, my family and I. My, my sister lives there and, and her family, and we love hi- hiking 14ers and um, just spending a, we spent three weeks in Colorado. And during the middle of that time, um, I went through some st- strategic planning with our team. Uh, and they all came out to to Boulder, Colorado. and they're like, oh, you know, I think I think this guy Scott Beck lives in Colorado. That's where Glue's headquarters. We should schedule a time. And uh, so we ended up meeting at the end of some really interesting strategic planning meetings at the end of the week that very week, and it was mid July of twenty nineteen. and it was it was, it was really interesting, set it, sort of setting the stage for how I think about our partnership with with Glue today, uh, because I went through this period of, of of some life planning of sort of resetting what I felt like God was calling me to do and what what um, what I felt like God was calling our company to do and the team our our leaders, and it was sort of like a Tuesday my life plan, a Wednesday Thursday was our our new strategic strategic plan. And then Friday, you know, we just, we just have some meeting uh, with this guy named Scott. And so it was an interesting sort of pivotal week uh, because um, that was a really dynamic meeting in ways that, you know, was sort of more than a, a client relationship or more than just a potential research study. It was like, hey, this is really fun talking to this guy and dreaming together. And um, and so over the next 30, 60 days, we just started meeting, talking, getting our teams talking, figuring out what we might do together. And I said, hey, what about State of the Church 2020? You know, we've got a pretty big year coming up. It's the end of one decade, the beginning of a new a new decade. Uh, maybe we could serve the church together looking at what was happening in terms of this, you know, it was, again, pro- way, way before any, anyone had heard of coronavirus uh, during this period of epic disruption and transformation of, of the church. And so um, that's where it, was, where it started was a vision to try to help come, al- come alongside the church during this year. Uh, the start of a, a pivotal decade, the church coming into a new digital moment. Um, and so State of the Church 2020 was sort of born uh, mid-July, uh, right after I had hiked a 14er. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to get into some crisis leadership, decision-making, how do you lead through this? But I always love pulling back the curtain and just being transparent. So for those leaders who regularly listen to this podcast, maybe you've taken the crisis leadership course that my team's offering for free, or you listen to the podcast David and I just launched called Church Pulse Weekly, where you've got real-time polling data. Uh, You know, as I joke, it's all the power of a pollster in the hands of a pastor. And you can pull your congregation, pull your team, pull your community, civic leaders, the whole deal. And, you know, in many ways, it seems similar to what you've been doing now for uh, your whole adult life, David and George Barna, before you at Barna Group. I mean, you know, when I was a pastor of a tiny church, I was reading Barna's books and looking at his polls, and it was fascinating. So this is what you've been doing, but all of a sudden, the real-time results 
are being powered through the database that you've been building for the last decade at Glue Scott. So this is an opportunity for you to kind of pour steroids through um, the ability to collate a lot of data quickly, uh, to be able to synthesize a whole lot of information quickly into meaningful patterns that we get to interpret about what's happening in real time to leaders and churches and so on. So uh, feel free to nuance that in any way you want, but uh, I would love for people to have an understanding of the difference that this real-time data can make in leadership, which is really possible for the first time, I think, in history, the history of the church anyway. I'll let uh, Scott describe some of his thoughts about database and platform and stuff, because that's, I think, very compelling. But for me, uh, as you say, I've been 25 years here at Barna, and uh, it, part of my life plan and my my our company's st strategic plan was sort of this idea of, okay, what can I do next? If all of that sort of prelude to what God may want to use me personally and our company now in the future, um, you know, so much change is happening. And I've, I'm such a, a, a deep believer in data-informed leadership and and not just going only on our gut. I think we as leaders get really good at, at trusting our gut, knowing how mm -hmm. to make good, make good decisions on the fly, making decisions every day, every hour. Um, and that's important. Uh, but, but being data informed as the world is rapidly changing, um, couldn't be more important. And that was before COVID and, and, and recognizing, especially now, um, you know, COVID is going to have many, many implications for, for, for leaders of all types. Um, but especially for Christian leaders, being a data informed leader of what's really happening in people's lives, what's really happening in the marketplace, what's really happening uh, with millennials and Gen Z, among whom we're seeing uh, even greater levels of anxiety and pressure because all of a sudden their, their bridge to the future, employment, finances, moving, you know, they're back in their, you know, for, I've got two college, college girls, you know, they're back in their parents' home. They're like, you know, crap, what are we going to do now? And so, um, <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, recognizing that being a data-informed leader, it w was always very important, but you, you absolutely can't get up every morning now as a leader without being a data-informed leader. Uh, and that's what's exciting for me as, as, as a social researcher who usually, you know, it's like it takes weeks, sometimes months to get back the data, having uh, more real-time tools to put those in the hands of pastors and Christian leaders, uh, it, it really changes the game for us. Yeah, for sure. Well, when we when we first uh, started partnering with uh, David and Barna and the, and the team there, uh, you know, the whole idea of a platform is, you know, we're a set of capabilities. Let's say, think of them as data capabilities that allow, you know, privacy and security and handle all the compliance and handle all of that type of technology underneath the scenes so that now all of a sudden, you know, Barna could have uh, data interactions with churches on a direct basis at scale. And that was really the that was really the the innovative thought was like, hey, stay to the church, run the normal research. But then, be able to use these capabilities to run the state of your church. So then now for the first time at scale, Barna was going to be able to serve into a church with the Barna Church Pulse to be able to help the church understand the state of their church while and relate that to the overall research. So that was the big innovation that the two of us um, cooked up here uh, that really God had for us in 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 the in the fall of, of, of 2019. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, to uh, literally March 10th when we did the the network webcast. 
uh, with over a thousand different networks turning in, tuning into the webcast that the two of you co-hosted. And then the next day, the world changes. And, you know, we say, wow, we can take these capabilities and now make them available to churches so that they can be understanding the state of the church this week, not necessarily over the next decade, but literally this week. And so being able to allow Barna now to have a whole series of additional surveys and polls and tools that they can put into the hands of all those churches, that's been the big move that we've made now in response to COVID. And that's the power of having a well-architected platform is you can make those kinds of moves. And, and you're right, then churches can now start to get real-time data. What are other pastors doing? You know, and what about my congregants? How are my congregants doing? And so we're using the the different check-ins, the leader check-in, the congregant check-in, and the pastor poll to be able to allow that all to come alive right now in the moment to serve the church. We're going to get into some of the functionality of that, but the question that's on my mind, Scott, and uh, I would love for you to answer to the extent that you feel comfortable is a decade ago, you pretty much could have done anything you wanted with your life. I mean, you could have you you had enough resources that you could have gotten on a boat and just floated through the oceans for the rest of your life. You could have been lying on a beach. You could have been in some mountain home. Uh, you could have, frankly, if you wanted to do something else, you could have jumped into another business or another line of work. What made you say, no, I'm going to like hire a couple hundred engineers, build a team, invest in this, and create the infrastructure using data to help churches scale? I'm just curious, what what was what was your thinking? Well, <clears throat> you know, it, it it's really just a a matter of you know getting. It, I've had some great mentors, and yeah. you know, one of my mentors was a guy named Oscar Remick, and Oscar was a was a you know a leader in the higher education field, and he was the president of Westminster College and. New Wilmington, Pennsylvania, and he was the dean of the School of the Arts for the New York University system and ended up at Bangor Theological Seminary. But Oscar was a great mentor of mine. And, you know, his whole his whole strategy was like be used up for good and die. Hmm. He's like that was his whole it was his whole thing is that he wanted to be used up for good and then he wanted to pass on into the next world. Right. And, and move into eternity and get used up for good. And so, you know, we, we've always just been operating with that same mental model, Teresa and I. So, you know, a decade ago, the, the idea of like, like just golfing or, 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 or cruising, you know, we like, we like to be entertained and we like to do the stuff that we like to do for, for, for leisure, but there isn't anything that we like more than like solving problems to help champions scale. You know, these champions are out there on the front line, okay, hope against all hope, doing whatever they need to do to serve into their local communities, whether it's a pastor or whether it's a church planter, whether it's a recovery care manager or, you know, a, a person in a small house with, you know, 12 young women going through a eating disorder recovery. I mean, these people are just like giving their lives uh, against all all odds to be able to serve into these people. And so for us to basically say, hey, we've been given some capabilities, we know how to do some things, we've got some relationships, we've got some capital to put it at work and to be used up for good, 
that was the whole idea. And so, you know, that's just where Teresa and I shook out in 2010. And we've been on the journey for the last decade. God willing, we've got a couple more decades ahead of us. And, um, you know, we're just loving it. Hmm. I know what you mean about um, the good feeling you get rolling out of bed and saying, I get to help leaders today. That's a good feeling. That's a great feeling. I'd love to drill down a little bit more on how data can help church leaders expand their ministry. Because that's sort of the vision that that unites when I'm, you know, not the data part, because I only have the capabilities you two bring to the table. Uh, I have a voice. I can help. I'm interested in helping church leaders and leaders do better. Um, but, you know, David, it's, it's Barna that really helps uh, churches now for 35 years use data to make informed decisions. And Scott, you just built this huge platform that moves that to real time. So, uh, for leaders who are like, yeah, once in a while I see a poll and I realize there's more atheists, more agnostics. Here's what's happening with Gen Z. Um, oh, the economy's you know negative nine percent contraction or whatever. But like, how does data? How is that really going to help churches scale? How is that going to help us grow and make our impact bigger for the kingdom? Well, I've got lots of different answers for that. Of course, you could expect that from the president of Barna, but uh, <laughs> a few different ways that I, I think of. Uh, is is and, and number one most importantly is to change our paradigm of what's really happening. Um, you know, I've seen right from the very beginning of working with George Barna, uh, how his projects and his research and his thinking, uh, which you know he mentored me for 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 14 years before I started leading the company, but um, how how he was changing people's perspectives and and even today some of his groundbreaking work still frames a lot of the ways that church leaders in North America and, and indeed around the world talk about and think about the paradigm of ministry. Some of that's for, for good. Some of that's not for good. I mean, like, like not the Barna group has always had exactly the right frame of reference, but by amplifying other people's voices, um, we can better understand what is happening and how to respond to that as leaders, which, which brings me to that second point of how important it is. I think leaders, and I feel it as a 46 year old leader today, um, more than ever, that it's really easy as a leader to settle into your rhythms and into your perspectives and how you think and know the world works and how you can influence it. And one of my great passion points about being a data-informed leader is that you actually hear other people's voices in mm. through research that you just simply can't hear otherwise. And so um, when I started working on the book uh, with Gabe Lyons on Christian, that was my first real experience of personally living into this Barna calling um, of telling the story of young non-Christians, 16 to 29 year olds, their perceptions of the church, that Christianity was judgmental and hypocritical and anti-homosexual. And so we were amplifying the voices of thousands of young people who gave us their time during an a a, a, a online survey and and helped <clears throat> helped Christians understand the perspective of non-Christians and that was this paradigm shifting moment for for me i mean i remember literally working on these chapters sort of quaking in my in my you know in in, in my uh, my keyboard like man i'm writing about the church being hypocritical and judgmental like i don't even really feel this way but this is what i just saw in all this data and so i have to be honest i have to be I have to be clear about what we found i can't sugarcoat the findings and so that was an example, I think. And so many people responded to that book as an example of, wow, we didn't know that this is what people really felt. We didn't understand like the, the idea of being anti-homosexual. That was such a revelation for so many leaders that the church had had 
by, by and large begun to be re, be defined by what it was against rather than what it was for. And um, so that's I think there's so many different elements that, but, but we could start there. That good data informed leadership uh, affects your paradigm of of your work. It affects your ability to hear from people you would ordinarily not understand or hear from. And then to be able to engage effectively, you know, you can actually see clearly, lead your church confidently, engage effectively in the world. Some of the themes we've we've set out for our state of the church work, uh, and without that, you can't you can't actually be as effective as God intends. Um, and that leads to the final point, which is, you know, we 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 all got into this business of Christian leader Christian leadership or of leadership in general because we wanted to change lives. Hmm. And and I'm convinced that at the at the end of the day, without without paying attention to some kind of real data about what kind of impact we're making, we end up really wasting or frittering away or diminishing our impact. We can look at it from a spiritual perspective. We have an adversary, my belief that we have an adversary who wants to derail us from true and transformational impact. Uh, get a huge church and look at what great impact you're having. Well, maybe we're not actually transforming lives as much as we thought. Maybe we don't actually know the hearts of people as well as we imagine. Maybe we haven't really moved them in other areas of their lives, uh, their relationship well-being, their emotional well-being, as much as we thought. And so for me, that's another part of this. We have to be better informed in order to make the kind of differences that we all signed up for at the beginning of our journeys. I think about the staff meetings and the board meetings that I've been through and so many leaders have been through. And sometimes, honestly, they're just exercises in, in creative guessing. It's like, well, I think this is the issue, so why don't we try that, right? Scott, what would you add to uh, data-informed decision-making? Take us a little bit more behind the scenes at Glue and some of the capabilities that are there. Because as much as I've talked about it and spent you know, quite a bit of time immersing myself in it, I think we're just kind of scratching the surface of what's possible. Yeah, I would, you know, what David was just talking about is like, how do we use research and how do we use information sort of at the macro level, right? It's like, hey, we see these trends and people are thinking this way and you need to be aware of it so that then you can make the right adjustments to be able to serve people within a greater context of reality. And in terms of the knowledge that, that, you know, Barna can help them, help them with, you know, I want to take it all the way down to the micro level, mm-hmm. right? At a micro level, what what's a what what's a pastor doing? You know, he's greeting people at the door. Hey, you're new. Where are you from? You know, how is this your first time here? You know, where do you work? What, tell me about your family, right? And then and then what's he doing? Immediately, he or she after that after that moment is saying, "Great, hey, I want to introduce you to Bob over here, right?" Because Bob lives in your neighborhood as well. Or Sue over here. Yeah, she's in that industry. Or, you know, hey, we want to get you involved into this class. Well, what what just happened is what we call know, match, and catalyze. At the Mm -hmm. micro level, all leaders, all pastors, all therapists, they're in the know, match, and catalyze business. They try to know somebody. They try to match them to the right next thing that's going to catalyze them in growth, right? Mm. And then they want to know whether that worked or not. And so at the micro level, that that same kind of capabilities are available. And you can use little assessments to help you know people at scale. 
And then you can use some simple math to be able to help match them to the right step based on that. And what's the piece of content that we can catalyze them to, or how do we move them into that small group? So quite frankly, the technologies are super accessible in terms of just extending the reality of how people already operate. The pastors, therapists, counselors, you know, uh, they're all in that same business of know something, match somebody to something that's going to catalyze them. And our technologies are just enabling that at scale. I mean, ultimately, it's important to realize that, you know, we believe that relationship catalyzes growth. Relationship is the key catalyst in any kind of personal growth journey. And so the technology needs to not disintermediate the relationship. It needs to reintermediate the relationship. How do we bring the superpowers of technology into those relational interactions? And if we do that, we're going to be successful and we're going to scale that relational interaction and allow a lot of that great energy to get released. So that's how we, that's how, what we do at Glue. We focus on the micro as well as enable that macro. I did, was was that helpful, Kerry? Yeah, that's super clear. And I was just uh, looking up, it's episode 155, uh, Matt Engel, who works with you at Glue, uh, right. was somebody that I met two or three years ago, and we had a fascinating lunchtime conversation. So if you want to go back, we'll link to it in the show notes. But Matt talked a lot about how big data could inform or even collection of data or even matchmaking. David, I don't know whether it was you or Sean Morgan. I've been on infinite Zoom calls like the rest of the world <laughs> for 30 days now. So it all becomes one, right? But it was Sean Morgan or you uh, that said his daughter is going to college this fall. I think it was maybe Sean. And, you know, when we showed up at college, I mean, you just kind of randomly get dumped there with a thousand other kids and you don't know anybody and they don't know you. But they're using technology right now to like, okay, well, what do you like to stay up at night or get up early in the morning? Uh, what are your study habits? What are your hobbies? Where are you from? What are your interests? What kind of music do you like? Are you a neat freak? Are you a slob? Like they wouldn't ask it that way. But basically what they're doing is profile matching all the incoming students so that you don't end up with the opposite roommate so that you can actually connect socially and build friendships online ahead of time before you even get there. And I think it was Sean who was speculating that perhaps in the future, the churches would have that kind of technology. So does this digital connection, all these views that have popped up online, all these people who have liked your page, if they're going to plan a visit, you can almost pre-select them into affinity groups or that kind of things with, with people that they would connect with. Do you think that that is a role that uh, data could play and data uh, decisions, perhaps Scott, in uh, the future in the church? Absolutely. I mean, that's knowing and matching. Right. And that's exactly, that's exactly the, 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 the idea is how do we, you know, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not a, a, a Bible expert. Um, you know, one of my other mentors, Dennis Rainey, mm -hmm. uh, the, the founder of family life ministries out of Little Rock. Um, great, great, great mentor of mine. Um, you know, he, he's always, uh, thinking that same thing in terms of like, hey, how can we apply these technologies to be able to help us do, you know, some of this knowing and matching on a, on, on a better base than that. But absolutely churches can be using that for those types of, uh, those types of purposes. Get people into the right small group to get people, 
connected, um, be able to understand whether that small group actually made a transformation. Uh, as we're working with David on State of the Church, we've got these five areas of flourishing, right? Uh, the relational flourishing, spiritual flourishing, um, uh, in your health, are you flourishing? Uh, financially, you know, uh, are, are, are you flourishing? And, and these different areas of flourishing, it's like, Hey, when you started into that small group, where were you at? When you ended that small group, where were you at? Was there a difference made? So there's a lot of very practical, simple implementations to be able to bring technology in service of all of that. David, can you, because uh, I know this is going to develop over time, that's what happens, but can you take us under the hood a little bit of Church Pulse Weekly, just so people can see what is now actually available for pastors and church leaders in real time? Because um, a lot of it's, that's set, but it's also customizable. You can ask specific questions, right? So can you, can you show us um, both, you know, in terms of the numbers, obviously you're going to track attendance, you're going to track how many people, but you can start to measure qualitatively uh, how your people are doing. So kind of what Scott said, it's not the state of the church. It's also the state of your church. Yeah, happy to. Um, well, first, um, obviously, some some of your listeners uh, f- will be aware of the fact that we've started this uh, podcast, and I'll start there, which is, you know, on March 10th we hosted a webcast for for network leaders, and you know, March 11th we came came home, and the NBA shut down its season, and the world changed quickly, and we decided that we wanted to be able to help leaders navigate um, this reality, and so y- you being a great great uh, leader of leaders and influencer of leaders and and podcast host and us doing research. Uh, It was this idea of coming together on a weekly basis just to help talk about what we were seeing and then building that not just on, you know, the two of us and our thoughts, but building that on the voice of pastors and leaders and the the pressures they were facing. And all of that is data that we're now collecting, um, you know, through glue, alongside glue, um, and that's where it starts. There's a, a leader check-in uh, where where leaders can actually add their voice uh, at churchpulseweekly.com to see you know what's happening in our church, what's next, uh, what are the pressures you're facing. What every week we've got new questions and we've got some tracking questions, uh, and you can go on online and and sort of check that out. And that that's again speaking of what I was talking about earlier about how it is that research helps to inform leaders. It's that you get a bigger perspective about what other leaders are facing, and then you can make your own decisions on on the basis of that. So that's the first, you know, sort of sort of piece that you can add. Um, obviously, you can listen to the podcast if you're interested in, in hearing <laughs> us talk about that. Uh, but then, then the second, really, I think critical stuff. And Scott was alluding to this earlier, under this idea of of seeing and hearing what's happening in your in your among your people. Um, was that we we really fundamentally believe that one of the disruptions that was happening well before COVID, but is certainly amplified in the coronavirus world, is that we're actually more separated from the people we serve than we realize. We mm. don't actually see what's going on in their lives as leaders as much as we might think. And and I think any pastor, or any any leader actually would admit that to be the case, that the people we lead, we we don't always have a holistic view into what's happening. And so We've been working for a long time um, here at Barna. Galoo's been working on this for a long time of understanding human flourishing. We've we've looked at a lot of different studies and researchers out there and try to bring the best thinking uh, forward about what does it mean for people to really flourish in all of their lives, spiritually, relationally, financially, vocationally, mental and emotional health. 
And and so the other big thing you can do at Church Pulse Weekly is is check in with people. So we've been working on this for a bunch of months with Glue and really much longer. Our team at Barna and Glue's team. You heard Scott talk a little bit about some of these commitments that they've learned about, you know, like relationships catalyze growth. Well, you can't have a good relationship with somebody if you don't really know them. Hmm. And and so um, part of what we then did was we took all this work and thinking and quickly pivoted in the coronavirus world to create a shorter, smaller, you know, simpler question set around these five areas of flourishing. And, and then, as you mentioned, you can have some customized questions. If as, as a church leader, you want to add some things into this to say, hey, I want to ask a specific set of things of my people. And uh, we, we've already had, um, you know, tens of thousands of of congregants take that survey now on behalf of their leader to to give them feedback. And I think this is a great way for us. I mean, I've seen now more than ever on on my social media, uh, just just scrolling through a lot of pastors that I follow. They're like, what am I going to talk about now after Easter? Uh, I still we're still doing digital church. Um, even if after digital church is sort of done, we're back in our buildings. Like, how do we really talk to people where they're really at? Well, mental and emotional health, that's a huge question. Well, now you actually have a simple free tool with bar- with, with this Barna Church Pulse to check in on the mental and emotional health of people. It's a simple couple questions. Uh, how, how are they doing in terms of anxiety? How are they doing in the terms of their relationship? How are they doing in the terms of their job? It's all simple and anonymous. People don't have to identify themselves. Um, but you could get a clear picture of the pressure points that your church is facing and a custom, custom, you know, layer of that as well of, of really asking some of the simple questions that are most important to you, and that might inform the topics that you preach about and how you think about, you know, sort of the disruptions in COVID and what you might start to think about going into the summer and what you c- might come, you know, sort of think about how, how knowing your people better helps you match them up to the right content to the right responses, and then as Scott said, catalyze them towards you know the growth opportunities that they need to have related to this this just this epic change this epic disruption that coronavirus has brought um so um that's a little bit about how church pulse weekly has been built Mm -hmm. and again part of our commitment at barna has been to try to help bring even better metrics of success and transformation to leaders that it's not just enough to show up each week for you know the number of people who show up that there's a deeper story of the kind of impact god uh, is is asking of us as christian leaders today yeah, a lot of people have suspicion around data, particularly big data, privacy concerns, et cetera. Scott, do you want to speak to that? Like, how, how does that work? Um, is there anything church leaders should be afraid of or concerned about when it comes to collecting that kind of micro data on their congregation? Yeah, very important um, to really have a, a good philosophy around, around data in total. Um, first of all, we operate under the presupposition that users need to be able to 100% control their data. Mm. And they need to own it. They need to be able to have control over it. They need to be able to explicitly have consent as to who can see what. Like David was saying, if in, in running that church survey, um, the church can set it up so that the it can be fully anonymous or it can be optionally uh, anonymous, where the individual can also opt into being able to be known. But that has got to be the choice of the congregant. It's, we've got to put the power in the hands of them. So, you know, at, at, at Glue, what we do is we make sure that all of the infrastructures are HIPAA compliant, just like with a, a medical system. They're 
compliant with the European, the tough European privacy standards. And California's got the toughest standard of all in the United States. It's called the CCPA. And so that we've got HIPAA, HIPAA and CCPA compliant infrastructures. And that that that's good because then churches can know that those infrastructures, they're in effect adopting those types of privacy capabilities when they're leveraging these types of, uh, of, of infrastructures. But ultimately, it's got to be consent. It's all based on consent. And you need to be really careful that you're using infrastructures that manage those consents and that do control the access and that do have the right security, um, you know, security and privacy wrappings around them. And it's where we spend a lot of time, money and energy at Glue. We got into this a little bit when I interviewed Matt Engel, if I remember correctly. Uh, but so many companies are already using data on consumers. You know, all your loyalty rewards programs are kind of quietly tracking in the background without even your consent. Or every time you fill out an evaluation or an opinion survey, you're giving that kind of thing. How, how does that give companies, thinking about the corporate world, how does that give them an advantage over companies that are not using that kind of information? Well, I mean, it, it, knowing knowing the people that you're you're trying to serve or you're trying to grow or you're trying to help is is just critical. We 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 said it. It's what it's what it's what pastors. It's what therapists. It's what it's it's what people do. Is they hmm. they they need to know. So being able to bring the superpowers that are available in the corporate world. And being able to bring those to bear instead of trying to sell you something, to use those same capabilities to be able to help you in a growth journey. I mean, that's just that's just legit, right? Yeah. If we're not if if we're not doing that, if we're not if we're not grabbing hold of you know, God brought technology into existence, and He brought technology into existence not by mistake. I mean, mm -hmm. He knows that it's there, and it's there ultimately. For his purposes, you know, it's our job. Okay, both at uh, the big technology and the frontline pastor and the leader, it's our job to wrestle with how do we bring technology into alignment with God's purposes to be able to accelerate the work that we're trying to do, that good work that's out there. Everybody, we believe there's a moral imperative. Okay, a moral imperative to figure out how to use technology and how to use data for good. The bad guys are using it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They got it. Right. Well, we got, we can't, we can't let them have a superpower and not bring that same superpower in, into bear on behalf of the good work that those people are trying to do out there. And that's the whole idea is to bring it within a compliant, secure environment, but to be able to help them grab those superpowers to be able to accelerate and multiply the ability that they have to change lives right there on the front line. Anything you'd add to that, David? Yeah, I'd like to add something quickly to that is, um, you know, a lot of the work I've done interviewing millennials and Gen Z, Christians, non-Christians alike, uh, certainly the future church doesn't, uh, doesn't think about data and privacy in the same ways that older adults do. And and again, I think there's some good reasons mm -hmm. why there's been skepticism of big data or data privacy and, you know, like why governments are sort of clamping down because, because there are misuses of that all over the place. And we actually need a Christian theology of information, a Christian theology of, of data and data collection and, and data privacy. There's a, there's actually a very 
human flourishing theological understanding, I think, of of how all of this exists in this new, what I call digital Babylon, right? Digital Babylon yeah. is this new context. I've been writing about this, thinking about this for, for seven, eight years, that we're living in a new world where screens disciple, where the infrastructures form our lives, uh, streaming services, uh, social media, these big companies, they're all so it, it, uh, it, uh, in, invasive, if you want to say, or, 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 or enveloping us. We're living in a digital world and, you know, like we wouldn't want to go through coronavirus without the tools and, and uh, you know, opportunities that are being provided. Like the economy would certainly grind to a halt and our lives would be just miserable, even more miserable without without technology. So as Scott says, there's a real gift in technology today. Um, you know, I look back at 500 years ago, Martin Luther said that uh, the printing press was God's agent of grace because it propelled a, a freedom of information, a freedom of of you know talking about theological concepts with the general population, um, the control points were changing, and so when I think about digital Babylon, and the opportunities that we have now as Christian leaders, to you know think about a different kind of philosophy, a different paradigm of ministry, we cannot continue to do ministry even with without COVID. We could not continue to do ministry. I call it dial-up ministry in a Wi-Fi world. Yeah. We can't we can't hope that people show up every few weeks for an hour here, an hour there. I think I was just talking to my friend Gabe Lyons yesterday where where he was saying that that he, his daughter, his son, they're all starting these Zoom discipleship groups. I you know, I don't want to speak out of turn about about their family, but like I'm hearing from him and others that they're using technology to try to influence their friends, to try to create a deeper, deeper, more interesting rhythm for Bible study. I just was so inspired by that story of you know, here are here are Gabe's kids, um, you know, being um, active on technology to start using information, uh, using technology to, pr- to sort of propel a biblical view of 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 uh, you know how to live today. And so, I just think there's such incredible opportunities for us as leaders uh, to 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 not resist these sort of technological tools, and th- then to do more effective ministry in this new digital context. And uh, that's that's what that's what fires me up about it. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we dove down deep on that a little bit uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, David, you were on this podcast a couple of years ago where you shared the findings that the average age of the senior pastor in America was at that point 54, which is probably closer to 56 or 57 today. And again, you're right. Older generations, boomers, older Xers do not, they're more suspicious of technology perhaps than uh, Gen Z or younger millennials would be. Second thing is, here we are, you know, Scott, you're in Colorado. David, you're in California. I'm north of Toronto. And we're having a real-time conversation because of what? Technology. That's why. We're using microphones. You're listening to this on your AirPods or in your earbuds. And, you know, so on the one hand, we have all this questions about technology in the same way that my uh, phone has lit up with comments, as we've talked about, you know, on Church Pulse Weekly, David, 49% of churches are all growing now that their digital attendance is greater. And I've received hundreds of comments, which are, well, how do we know those views are real, right? And it's like, why are we starting there? Why, why, why is that where we go every time there seems to be innovation where we question it, we kick at it, we ask questions? But I got to ask the last question, which is normally people would expect to pay for this. So it's not the last question on the podcast, just on this train of thought. Um, this is free to the user. So why and, and how is that possible, Scott? How did that, how did that happen? Why is this free to churches? Well, we, you know, we, we had a, a, a real strong belief that ultimately 
the platform and the capabilities had to have a very powerful free layer. Yeah. If not, then they wouldn't be available to everybody. And so we wanted, we wanted them available to everybody. And, you know, with, with, with Barna and, you know, Barna's willingness to take significant parts of their research and their capabilities and make that free and us taking significant parts of the infrastructures and making that free, we create an environment where you can have a free layer of capabilities and research and content that sits on top of that, that can be free and it can be free forever. It's just, it's, mm. it's not a free trial. No, it's free. It's free forever. Yeah. There's opportunities to buy premium things from Barna. And, and if you're buying something that's a premium thing from Barna and you're leveraging the technology, then we have a revenue share in that. And that allows us to get funded as well. So there's a significant free layer, free forever. And then there's premium opportunities on top of that. And it makes the whole thing work. But it also allows it to get everywhere, and it allows the smallest churches, churches with with very few resources, to be able to have free and free forever. We're we're really grateful to be able to do that. Yeah, no, and I think I think we all have similar models. Um, you know, ninety eight percent of what I do is free, but the two percent that's paid powers everything else, and. I think that's a really good model because then any and we always you know we always say it's an unofficial model. We want our motto. Uh, we want our free stuff to be better than most people's paid stuff, and you know so it's not like oh here's the free thing. Uh, hope it doesn't break in thirty seconds or you know oh you hit the paywall you're done. So uh, I really appreciate that. So thank you. Got to talk to you because we are leading in a time of crisis, and the idea is that you sped up the data that's available to real time, weekly. Like you can check in with your church in real time every week, etc. Now we understand a lot more about that. But I want to pull the camera back a little bit and talk about um, crisis leadership. So, Scott, my guess is you've led through a couple of crises in your business career. <laughs> Nothing like this, but. Uh, what are some things you've learned away from along the way from mentors or from your own leadership about how to lead well in crisis? And then, David, I'll throw the same thing to you. Yeah, we, you know, like I said, Teresa and I and and, and our four daughters, we've been we've been operating uh, in a lot of volatile environments for the last forty years. So, I mean, literally, I can I can think back to the 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 gas lines in in the late 70s and the 18 percent prime interest rate uh 70 percent marginal tax rates of 78 79 and 80 and and think about the you know black monday in 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 89 and what happened there and the and and all the different crises that we've gone through over the different years um you know and and this is new this is unique uh there has never been one like this, but the the key the key in crisis is is to be able to you know number one you know keep your wits about yourself you know get to your base get to established to be able to like take a breath and to understand that with every crisis comes you know peril but there also comes great opportunity and so you know with that mental model uh then you can be able to look at it and you can look at it in 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 a different way and it's important for leaders to be able to to do that you know yep you're going to get shaken a little bit you're going to have a lot more uncertainty yep that's all real how do you step back how do that you start thinking about how do we use this to our advantage you know ultimately 
you know, our job is to love God and be called according to his purposes. His job is to make all things work together for good. And that means crisis as well. And so, you know, as a leader, love God, be a called according to his purpose, you know, take a moment, look, get good counsel around you, but look for the opportunity, look for the opportunity that exists in the crisis. David, how about for you? Well, I've gone through uh, a lot of crises, well as well, but maybe not quite as many as uh, many as many years as you, Scott. But um, I think back to this to crisis in my first year of leading Barna and um, feeling like I had sort of taken over the Barna Group, and we had some some external and internal issues within the first twelve months. That I was like, ah, oh, dang, man, I I I I had to go. Uh, deep inside myself to my convictions. It was actually a crisis that about a year into it, I was like, no, this is my company. I'm going to save it. It was like, I I couldn't look to George Barn. I couldn't look to investors or to different people. And it was like, I had to really figure my way through it. And I had to go to this, this deep sense of what was God calling me to do um, and get clear on that. What were my, my principles in, in trying to lead my own, my own thing in my own time um, and, and that was hard to do, but getting really clear on the things I could control and I couldn't control. It turns out there's a lot more stuff I couldn't control, mm. but the few things that I could control, I was like, I'm going to just nail those things. And that, that was actually the most important thing, like just controlling my own emotions, forgiving the people that had caused some of the damage within the, within the, the, the company, um, um, you know, not lashing out, not, not. I couldn't control them, right? So I just I had to do my very best at kind of forgiving and moving on and figuring out my way forward. Um, and and I'm feeling a lot of that this this time in this last four weeks. Like I can I can't control very much. It turns out you don't really control that much anyway. Even in even non-crisis situations, you just feel like you have more control because nothing nothing there's no hmm. disequilibrium, you know, that happens, right? So you're like, man, look at me. I'm I'm a professional business person, but it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't turn out that you're really doing anything. It's just life is good enough in our, in our world today where, you know, you make money and you drive home and things keep moving forward. But in crisis, you're reminded you really don't control that much except for yourself, your posture, your commitments. Um, you know, I've been going through a big family crisis for a couple of years with my wife's health uh, who has brain cancer. So, you know, I've been learning and relearning this sense of dependence on the Lord and you can't really control that much. And all you can really control is, is, you know, your own heart and your own, your own capabilities. And, um, you know, sort of this is on the personal side, but I think it relates to, to, to general crisis as well. Like I started working on these lists of the things gained and the things lost. And, uh, this is one of my last point on this is like, I actually think it's really important to acknowledge the things that you lose through Mm -hmm. a crisis. Um, and, you know, in, in my wife's brain cancer situation, it's been a big list of things we've lost. Uh, but you also, it's important to think, make a list of the things you gain and what are the gains that you have. And Scott's sort of saying, it's like, yeah, think about those opportunities. Think about the ways that you're, that you couldn't go do. Like my relationship with my own kids has gotten a lot deeper hmm. and more. We've sort of fast forward into a, an adult. They were, they were teenagers when this all happened, but we fast forward into a more kind of like we, 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 I, I, I find great friendship with my kids today. Um, that it's in, and certainly in the gain column. Um, and so, you know, figuring out who the kind of person you're going to be through that crisis is, is for me as, as important as how you're going to, you know, lead through to a better bottom line or a better outcome or whatever. But, you know, I certainly want to be, uh, a better person at the end of a crisis than I, than I started it. And so those are some of the things that I've been learning about, 
you know, leading through crisis is, is figuring out, you know, what you really can control and, and who you want to be, be through that whole crisis. Thank you for sharing that too, David. I know you and I've talked a lot just offline as friends about Jill's cancer and everything. But, you know, when you said uh, what you can gain, I'm like, oh man, I don't think there's anything in that column. And, you know, for you to actually go through that exercise and share a few of the things is super Super helpful and transparent. One of the things that amazed me about both of you, we literally had that dinner March 9th, the Monday night in Atlanta. It's like, uh, I think I said to you, Scott, maybe I'll fly some of my team members down in the summer. You know, this is long days before the world closed. We'll talk about what we could possibly do together and dream together. And then a week later, I'm on the phone with you guys going, all right, what about doing this in light of everything that's happened? And here we are, you know, launching this Church Pulse Weekly project together, the podcast, the live show, uh, that more importantly, the, the database that it enables behind it. Both of you pivoted really, really quickly. Do you want to walk through the thought process on that? Because not everybody did in this crisis. And I was really amazed. I mean, I was sitting there that Monday upstairs in my living room praying and thinking and on phone calls, knowing that I had one with you guys coming up later in the day going, what does this make possible? What does this make possible? How can we serve? How can we help? But I I want to go through your mental process in the midst of the crisis and how and why you pivoted so quickly, what you changed, what you didn't change. I think it's an interesting case study, 30 days on the other side. Well, I'll be happy to say that, you know, after the big webcast and then coming home, um, you know, I, I remember for me, the first sign this was going to be a real deal was when the NBA suspended its season on Wednesday night. Um, and obviously some of the stock market started to take a hit and other things started to change that week. And there was some, you know, we were all thinking about that even when we were together in Atlanta, you know, I, I actually flew home from the webcast from Atlanta to LA and they, there were people coughing on that flight and they were so much so that they even made an announcement like, please cover your mouths while you cough. Oh boy. It was yeah. uh, it was bad. I you and I didn't like, even shake hands. We uh, I think bumped elbows or something uh, <laughs> at that event, David. So um, so Jill had an, a medical appointment on Friday, and and as we drove back, Scott said, "Hey, can I get a few minutes of your time?" And um, and he started to say, "Hey, I think there's some opportunities here." So he he really helped. It's been a pleasure working with Scott uh, because he thinks in terms of systems and structures and change. And, um, and, and I, I do too, but in a different sort of different way, I think more of like social change and what will this mean for the numbers and how will people's perspectives change? But he's like, how do we change all the things we've been working to take an opportunity? So we worked through the weekend. Hmm. Uh, and then on Monday, um, we, we started to talk, he he had started talking to some of his team on Monday. I started to talk to, to, to my team through the weekend. I gave him a few heads up, but, uh, by Monday we had a new, paradigm and who thought about how it was that these tools could be still useful in fact maybe even more useful uh, because of the urgency of the moment and and um you know i think this disruption changes things quickly and there are a lot of places and i think the the, the story is yet to be written all the ways we'll look back two years three years ten years from now at what what coronavirus changes and not to mention just the tremendous loss of life and yeah. suffering and loss of jobs and and you know, the suicides and mental health challenges and, you know, domestic abuse and addictive behaviors. I mean, just to name all those things that are going to, you know, sort of grow out of this crazy situation. And also, and those are the things lost category on the things gained category, new businesses and new opportunities and new ministry models and new leaders. And, and, and so it was really a pleasure 
um, to, to work side by side with Scott. You know, I, I know uh, speaking for, for, for me, for my team, they're great, got great people, great men and women. Um, and, and so often we've had people and I've just seen it in, in our company and others was like, well, okay, when can we get back to what we were doing? And I'm like, guys, mm-hmm. we're not going back. <laughs> so, so being ready to, 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 to help frame people's reality as a, as a leader has been, has been a fun challenge too. Scott, how about the pivot for you? Cause that, that was fast. Yeah, we, 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 we all, we, we accelerated, uh, really quick. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's just the a couple things you know, the, the, the opportunity was there. I mean, if we look at, if we look at what, what God was doing with the state of the church and how that helped us evolve to a free model, uh, and then that helped us to get everything ready. Think about all these technologies got put in place on, you know, March 9th. I mean, literally we were knitting them together on the 9th, you know, and we, we were deploying them out on the 10th and then the world changed on the 11th. I mean, you know, if that isn't God ordering your steps and, and, you know, making sure that you're in the right place at the right time, uh, with the right set of capabilities, you know, that was just, uh, God ordained. And so, you know, from, from our standpoint, I think, you know, we, we just looked at it as what's the stewardship opportunity that we have, uh, and responsibility in the moment and, and, and how do we move, how do we move aggressively? Um, we've, we're, you know, as a leader, you, you, you know, you need to satisfy so You need to, you need to be able to make decisions with limited amounts of information. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, managers will, will look for lots and lots of information and lots and lots of confirmation. And one of the difference between a manager and a leader is that leader at times needs to move very aggressively with small amounts of data and to use their instincts and to, you know, use prayer and ask the God order the steps and provide the insights and the revelations. And I just feel like that happened in those first couple of days. And, you know, we've got such great teams. Um, the team that, that, uh, that Barna has and the team that we have at glue, uh, you know, we got a couple, couple hundred people at glue and, you know, 20 great people over at, at Barna and, and when you pull those two teams together and they've melded so, so well, and then to be able to then move on a dime, I mean, I'm just so proud of the teams. The teams have really just come through and work around the clock and, you know, been able to, you know, make the moves. Uh, because in the end, it, it all is about team. It's all about making sure that, uh, you know, you're able to create the alignment and, you know, be able to run. You can go run out ahead as a leader. But if you <laughs> if there ain't a team there with you, you know it's going to be a long, long, lonely uh, slog. So it's really, really well, grateful. I, for I'd love to add one. One hearing you talk about all that, Scott, reminds me of of one thing I'd love to to say to 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 listeners, and it's it's a bit personal, but it but it it relates to why we were able to pivot so quickly. Um, is that I've I, I, uh, I've I've had the privilege of hearing. Uh, in my life from a lot of people. And, and Scott said this principle earlier of relationships catalyze growth. And one, one of the relationships, deep relationships in my life is a, a guy by the name of Pete Richardson, who did a life plan for me uh, back in uh, 2008, uh, where I started to think about what I wanted to do next and whether I would, you know, where I would go. And that led really me to, to, to me buying Barna Group from George Barna. And uh, I'd mentioned at the start of our podcast that, you know, the where our relationship where Glue and Barna started was a week in, in Colorado in July. And the life plan 
that I started that week with was, um, in, in so many words, that I want to courageously lead the church into the future by energizing and equipping a new generation of Christian leaders. And I, I came to our whole team um, to say, hey, this is where I think I'm supposed to go. And I'd love to lead Barna, but even though I'm the owner, I'm happy to you know hear what you guys have to say about this. And uh, the team, um, you know, to their credit and through the facilitation of Pete Richardson, who did both my life plan and then this strategic planning, uh, we came to this vision of, of together, uh, Barna 2.0, Barna Group 2.0, that we wanted to lead the church courageously into the future as a company. And so um, that's easy to say and it's easy to put up on a board. But um, over the last month, as I've as we've pivoted and as we've worked hard on, you know, like the Church Pulse Weekly and the podcast and some of the things we're trying to do and we're working hard at at serving churches in, in some new ways, I've had to go back to, okay, well, this is what I said earlier, going through crisis. Well, who do you want to be on the other side? And so I've been able to go back to that commitment that I made in my life plan to help courageously lead the church into the future. And it was like, oh, well, this is a, def- a future defining moment, isn't it? Coronavirus. Uh, oh, we want to have a 2.0 business. And, and even, even though it's easy for us to want to protect the things that we do as a company, uh, and, and we should continue to do that, like, what if God's doing some new things? And I think back to one of my my first conversations after I, I signed the deal with George Barna, and I just, I get chills thinking about this conversation because he said, Dave, you know, this is now a shell, this company is now a shell for your vision, the vision that God's given you. And, and I don't want you to think for a day about what it is that I want you to do with this thing, because, you know, like, like you gotta, you gotta move on and, 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 and start to lead the company. And he, he even said, I, I sold you the company. I hope this is not too, too private to share, but I think it's important for listeners to hear. I sold you the company because I began to see them responding to you in ways that they're not responding to me or, or that, that, that for the church to change in the way it needs to change, like they need a new voice for Barna. And that was like, I mean, he was in his mid fifties when he sold me the business and, mm-hmm. and like, how, how humble do you have to be, uh, to say, you know, I can see how God's given, you know, David Kinnaman, this young upstart, uh, a chance to lead the church and to lead, you know, the company bearing his name. And so that's where I think as we think about disruption and the kind of leaders we want to become and the kind of, and I say this to my, my kids and my family and to the team, like God has me here for now. Maybe it's another couple months. Maybe it's another couple years. Maybe it's another couple decades. Like I want to be that open-handed with this business and with what God's trying to do through us that I could honestly say, like, as soon as God needs me to go pursue my vision and the company to pursue its vision, I'm, I'm open to what that might look like. Uh, because that's how God uses us uh, in these times of great change is he wants us to be just leaning into what he has told us and in, in who we're meant to be uh, in him. He's created us for very particular purposes of very particular times. Turns out we don't control as much as we think we control. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and so uh, that's been uh, just a, just as I've gone through this last month, I keep going back to the ways the Lord spoke to me through relationship, through that process, through other things that God's shown me through, through, you know, the last 10 years and more of what he intends for me and what he intends for this company. Um, and so that's been a, a great, a great pleasure, but I, I don't, I don't have any script for that. I don't have any like strategic plan for how it is that we'll change all the things we do for the post coronavirus world. And we just try to every day show up and, and be faithful to that unique calling that God's placed in our lives uh, today. No, I think that's super good. And what I hear from both of you is you had a crystal clear sense of mission and calling. And this was simply a new adaptation, a new expression of that calling um, to fit the times. 
which is, which is so helpful. Okay, I have to ask you because I'm asking everybody this question. How big a disruption this is and any thoughts on the new normal, whatever the new normal is. How I'm calling this a disruption now, not even the crisis so much. I just think of it that way that somehow we got disrupted. But how deep and profound are the changes you think that are happening right now? And then any takes on what the new normal will be like? In business, in church, online, offline, physical, travel, whatever. I'm wide open because we're all trying to figure this out in real time. The scale of the disruption is unprecedented, first of all. Um, What's going on in our economy and what's going on socially, it's just unprecedented, right? And so I think, number one, um, we need to take stock of that and be aware of that and to acknowledge the cumulative trauma that exists around us. Mm. Um, because, you know, when you're when you're in trauma and you're in the midst of it, you know, denial is, you know, one way through. And certainly it's there's a certain part of it that's that's probably self-preservation and important. But number one, the disruption is massive. Number two, it is catapulting us Mm. into the future. It is catapulting us into the future. It is moving things socially and it is moving things technologically and it is moving things in terms of engagement at distance. All of these things, we are being catapulted into the future where, you know, the, the social thing was to get on an airplane and to go have a meeting in a room together. That was what was the right social thing. Well, in the moment, the right social thing is not to do that. The social norms are some of the hardest norms to break when you have a technological transformation taking place in a society. So it's just amazing in terms of what's happening. Um, you know, we, we talked about, you know, let's stay anchored in church or, 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 or recovery or these, 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 these organizations that are basically serving and, and primarily they're, they're serving in a face to face because it's the face to face that the relationship catalyzes the growth. But what's going to happen is that right now everybody's developing digital muscles and digital skills Hmm. and this will subside. And we will go back to face to face and we will go back to convening and meeting and hugging and shaking hands and all of that stuff is going to happen. But we will have exercised new muscles that are going to serve us so well in the next decade ahead. So I'm just so excited in a certain sense in the midst of the trauma that, you know, these things are creating you know, a stronger church, a stronger recovery industry, you know, because we're having to be able to engage at distance. And when we get back from engaging at distance to engaging in the face to face, we will not leave that behind. We will bring that forward and will turbocharge the changes that we want to see in the world. So I think it is dramatic in terms of what it's doing, in terms of how it is catapulting us into the future. David. Yeah, I couldn't add I couldn't add too much more to that other than to say I think that without this disruption our ability as the church to minister to generation Z and millennials in the digital Babylon would would not have like I I keep banging my head against the 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 brick wall behind me. Hmm. Uh that that uh, church leaders just don't seem to understand that that you can't just minister to people an hour and a half every couple of weeks. It's just like it's not enough to christianize people's vision for the future. Well, this now forces us to think about 
digital disruption and digital ministry and digital discipleship. Again, how we innovate on that, not just to get people to show up to our our sort of our usual online worship services, but to do ministry in all of life is going to be critical. Um, and I think there are going to be some real innovative places that that do that and do that well. And so I think this is disruption, as Scott said, is going to force us into some really good rhythms that, that without it, we wouldn't have ever, well, we would have, it would have taken a long time, a, a couple generations probably before we began to do some of that. Um, I do think that that issues of anxiety and mental health are going to be even more front and center uh, for a generation that was already living in an anxious age and dealing with high levels of anxiety. This is going to be a really interesting time is going to tell, um, you know, sort of levels of suicide, levels of addiction, levels yeah. of anxiety, fina- the financial pressures uh, on on sort of this gig economy that the, the fragility and the precariousness of work for young adults, the indebtedness, the the kind of questions of um, sort of civic government, big big government, and h- how sort of the relationship between ch- church and state is going to be altered going forward, sort of, like, I think that's going to be really interesting. Uh, I think it's been awesome how churches have shown up and said, great, we think for public health reasons, we're not going to worship. Could you have imagined t- just two months ago, if government had said, churches, you're not going to have Easter, uh, you can't meet, uh, you know, and, and without the coronavirus, people would have been like, you know, no way, you know, like the, the church is never going to shut its doors, but we have in, in, in the right for the right reasons agreed to that. But there's going to be over the course of the next number of months and years, real questions of the role of government and the role of, of you know, f- the private practice of faith and the public mm-hmm. practice of faith. So those are important questions that I think are, are still to be determined. But um, in particular, because I've got such a heart for this emerging generation, this next generation of Christian leaders and entrepreneurs, uh, I'm so excited that this has happened, not because I, you know, uh, all the all the things lost, all the things that people go through, but I think this is going to force us to to really grapple with the world that this generation is already living in, this digital world, this this uh, uh, this disconnected world, like like higher education, local churches. Um, we're in businesses and areas of work that um, that haven't really been disrupted. We keep kind of moving forward without a lot of change to our basic structure. And for some of that's because it's biblical. It goes back thousands of years, but for some of it, it's just like, well, this is just easier because our business models are based on, you know, four years of tuition, you know, like, like, so I think higher education is going to go through a ton of good, healthy disruption. Um, and, and, you know, we, we want to see those things, those, as, as uh, scripture says, these new wineskins made. You can't pour old wine and uh, new wine into old wineskins. So I'm, I'm excited about that prophetic vision of what God's going to do with these new wineskins, these new businesses, these new entrepreneurs, these new models, these new approaches to ministry. All right. I want to, I want to frame this final question in the right terminology. It's probably going to come out wrong. Uh, what are the winners doing right now? And what are those who are not going to win out of this disruption doing right now? So if you're gonna if you're gonna move forward and you're actually going to advance your mission, let's put it that way, you're gonna look at without being opportunistic. There are some opportunities here. If you're moving forward, what are those people doing right now, and what are the people who uh, perhaps will go under or not survive or just limp into the future? What are they doing right now? I think the winners are are certainly understanding the possibility of a long couple of years of disruption. Um, even though I think that we will have some solutions, and you know, um, me- me- medical testing and quarantining will will catch up, you know, in in the coming months. Um, you know, it's I think like 
the next school year uh, starting in the fall of 2020 is going to be very different. Uh, and and uh, it's, it's still anybody's guess as to whether students will be coming back to campuses or how classes will be conducted or how concerts or sporting events. And so I think the best way, the best people are sort of taking the chance. Uh, one of my mentors says, never waste a crisis. So they're really they're really thinking through, OK, what will this look like? Uh, over over a couple of year horizon, and so they're they're making plans for today as though the world is going to continue to to change, and we can't predict how that change is going to play itself out. Um, you know, where like the economy reopens and everything is back to normal. So they're planning for a new normal. That that for me seems like a sure bet of the kind of things that uh, that the winners are doing today. Hmm. Yeah, I I agree all, with all that, David, and uh, I I would add add to it that. You know, as a as a population, you know, our jobs are pretty simple right now. It's like wash our hands and social distance. Right. And, you know, so when when the crisis is over, let's you know, let's stop social distancing, but let's keep washing our hands. Mm. Right. <laughs> That's probably just a good probably thing a good idea to, to carry on. Right. And, and, and the same thing, I mean, I think the winners right now are, are the people in particular, as we're talking to church leaders and the different types of, of, of leaders that are trying to help people in the areas of personal growth. You know, it, it's, it's about, it's about engagement at distance. It's not about, Hey, streaming, just streaming a, 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 a service that that's like, that's just consumption. The key isn't people don't gain out of consumption, they gain out of contribution, right? So being able to then take these opportunities to be able to right now um, understand what does it mean to be able to get engagement at distance? How can I know people at distance? How can I catalyze some growth at distance? How do I catalyze the communities to self-form at distance and to be able to allow that energy to continue to move? that the winners are going to be the ones that are leaning into that and not just trying to survive the moment, but really trying to take advantage and thrive in the moment. Because um, if you can do that, then when you come out of that, you're going to get everything back, plus have all of this, you know, and, and, and I do agree that it's not going to move as quick as, as, as people are thinking. People are going to move slowly back into these social settings. We're going to have probably a second wave. We're going to have, you know, all of those normal things that we're going to have to deal with. Um, I feel really bad for, for the businesses that, you know, are really going through the trauma, through the enterprises, through the churches that are going through, you know, the really significant trauma. And I, and I just pray that for those businesses and for those, those, those ministries that, you know, out of this can come, you know, new, new, new birth, new life, um, new, new, new skills that wouldn't have been there. Uh, so that would be, that would be the prayer as we, uh, as we move into the future here. Well, this is so rich, David, you'll be back on many times. And of course we're on our other podcast now, the Church Pulse Weekly. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can't get rid of me, can you? No, it's, it's a, it's a good problem to have. I'll tell you that. And Scott, (laughs) it's been a joy to be able to work with you and we'll have to have you back on. And I want to drill down into that amazing career trajectory, uh, from a leadership perspective, but it's a joy to be working with uh, both of you right now in the midst of this crisis. And Scott, your company powering a lot of the technology that for free helps churches and, uh, working together on Church Pulse Weekly, 
Uh, you can find that at churchpulseweekly.com or uh, just search my name, David's name on any podcast app or Church Pulse Weekly. You can subscribe there. We hope you will. And I wanted to take you under the hood. This is what's happening behind the scenes. This is what's been going on in the last 35 days in the case of uh, when this conversation was um, was was had for this leadership conference. And it's an opportunity to serve the church. And uh, I would just say to all the leaders listening, you have an opportunity to serve too. And it probably means, you know, I wrote down while you guys were talking, the difference between an interruption and a disruption. An interruption is like, oh, I'm just paused for a minute. I'll, I'll come back. A disruption is like, oh no, everything's changed. And I think it's pretty clear we're in one of those moments where everything changed. And we certainly want all the leaders listening, whether you lead a large church, small church, you know, medium-sized church, large business, small business, wherever you happen to be in the marketplace, uh, that you come out stronger. And there are opportunities. This is like, you know, <laughs> some of us are horse and buggy makers in the age of the automobile. And now it's time to figure out how to make tires or uh, whatever we happen to be doing, but uh, we can do it because people need to be transported and uh, the modes are changing, the ministry models are changing, but I think getting the kind of data that is now possible is going to help us all. So thank you both very much. Any final thoughts? I'm just grateful to be partnering with the two of you. It's been such a joy. I mean, the journey that David and I have been on over the last year has really been um, a godsend on so many fronts. Um the level of trust that we've been able to develop in such short periods of time that have allowed us to be able to invest deeply and to move quickly and to reduce costs has just been has been spectacular and I'm grateful for that and 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 likewise Carrie in terms of intersecting you uh, is your partnership with David has been longer uh, it's just been a joy and so I'm I'm grateful uh, and I feel honored to be part of it hmm. likewise well, thank you so much, guys. And um, yeah, Scott, if people want to find Glue, they know where they can find David at Barna Group and on our podcast. But if they want to know more about Glue, G-L-O-O dot U-S. Have I got that right? That's right. Glue dot us. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. And are you active on social? I don't know that I follow you yet. So No, I'm, I'm, I try to keep a pretty You're low hidden. profile. Hidden. Well, thanks for popping yep. out for this podcast. We appreciate Happy. it. David, Scott, thank you very much. Well, there's an awful lot there. And if you want to access the database that we talked about, you can head on over to the show notes. Everything is there, including the links to Church Pulse Weekly, the brand new podcast, which is also a live webinar. We just shoot it Monday at 3 Eastern, noon Pacific. Then it comes out in podcast form a few days later. Uh, and uh, yeah, we've got everything that we are just pivoting and trying to put together for church leaders. And I think it's so cool uh, that Scott has taken his time and resources and literally has hundreds of engineers uh, building the kind of data that everybody else is using that finally is at the hands of the church for free, which is really cool. Wanted to bring you that behind the scenes story today. We got a lot of really amazing episodes coming up. Tim Keller, the long awaited episode is coming up. We've got Near AL. Oh gosh, what else do we have? We have been re-recording so many episodes to deal with this crisis. Uh, NEF Downs has agreed to come back. Ian Morgan Cron, we just booked him. Uh, he's going to come back and talk about personality profiles, the Enneagram, a crisis leadership. Paula Ferris from ABC News just did an interview with her. Near AL about time management. Mark Miller from Chick-fil-A. Ryan Hawk 
who is now one of my favorite podcasters, is on the show. Danielle Strickland, John Eldridge, uh, who else? Oh, Patrick Lencioni, Henry Cloud. Are you kidding me? This is this is uh, shaping up to be an incredible year. So if you subscribe, you get all that for free. And uh, yeah, on the next show, Michael Todd from Transformation Church in Oklahoma. We recorded this uh, pre-crisis. Uh, it was an incredible interview. You're going to love it. And then uh, while I'm recording this, Mike and I are scheduled to do a supplemental interview about what's happened at Transformation Church since the crisis. So I'm going to give you an excerpt from the original interview and then uh, have a listen. I'll come back. I'll tell you what we are cooking up next. They're telling all their friends about it, all this stuff. And so then after they finish relationship goals, they find out there's two and a half years worth of the same type of content on different um, plat different subjects, yeah. which speaks to me being obedient at the moment that I said, we got to get these cameras because when everything blew up, the people, we didn't have to create new content for them to fall in love with. Mm. They were falling in love with the content that had already been created. Yeah. So it became this thing where, have you heard of Michael Todd? Has this thing, oh, you got to watch this. Oh, this is a series on finances. This is a series on relationship. This is a series on damaged goods. And people watching, and to this day, hundreds of thousands of people watch those series right now, today, every week. So that's definitely next time. And then uh, because we're doing so much of this in real time, Mike and I are scheduled to talk in a couple of days. We're going to talk about um, the whole response that Transformation Church has had to uh, the disruption that we're in the midst of. They were beautifully positioned as a digital church to handle this. So uh, hopefully we are going to get that in. We're working on some scheduling right now, but yeah, you will not be disappointed. It's an incredible story and uh, Mike is an exceptional leader. That's coming up next time. Again, subscribers, you get that free. If this show has been helpful to you, please share it on social, uh, tag me, let me know. And uh, well, now it's time for what I am thinking about. And thanks to our partners at Ministry Boost, who I just love how they're helping next-gen church leaders. So you can access their free resource to better engage and connect families during the season with their new family retention plan at ministryboost.org forward slash carry. And remember, if you haven't yet checked out How to Lead Through Crisis, go to howtoleadthroughcrisis.com, a 100% free course for you. It's my gift, my team's gift to you as a leader or text crisis to 33 777. So we're all online content producers, and uh, I've been doing this for a long time, and we're very fortunate and blessed. We've seen a lot of favor in this, and uh, along the way, producing content along the way, I've learned that there are ways to get it ignored, and uh, we're really fortunate. Between this podcast, the blog I write, and the emails I send, uh, the content that uh, we produce gets accessed by leaders about 1.3 million times a month. Yeah, which is outstanding like blows my mind to even say that out loud, but that's like emails opened and read, not sent, but open and read, blog posts read, and podcasts listened to about 1.3 million times a month. And along the way, I've learned a few things about what makes people listen to content and what makes people ignore content. So I want to share some quick tips with you. And here's the bottom line. Nobody knows where all of this lands post-pandemic, but now you're an online content creator and the future looks way more digital than ever. So if you want to lose people online, here's how to do it. Number one, focus on the number of views and ignore engagement. Let me give you an example of uh, from my world. Okay, so it's really cool that 1.3 million times a month people access my content, but way more important 
are people who subscribe to my email list. So we have over 60,000 people who subscribe to my email list. Way more important than just people who click and scroll are people who leave comments, are people who engage on social media. And what you want to be doing is not focusing on the number of views because that can be a little bit like crack, right? It's like, whoa, you know, 30,000 people read that post, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the number of views are really the new church attendance, but what you want to do is not focus on views. You want to drive engagement. So what you want to do is you want to have readers become subscribers. You want to have, you know, that's why I say every time on this show, hey, if you enjoyed this, subscribe, because the subscribers are people you can build a relationship with. So how does this translate in the church world? Well, uh, you want to get your viewers to become commenters. So whether that's on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, whether that is um, in your chat room, whatever, encourage people to leave comments because then you're starting to build a relationship. Uh, make sure that someone on your team, if not you yourself, responds to the comments to build relationships. And with the kind of traffic we have on this platform, I am not personally responding to all the comments, but I have staff members who are doing that and we are building relationships with people. And some of my staff, honestly, they probably have email relationships with you. They're tackling problems and solving things and engaging people. Uh, another way to do it, get viewers to fill out a digital welcome card and follow up with them personally. So back when we used to attend church in person, and we will again one day, right? You fill out this little analog card. Uh, you want to create a digital card that's super easy and maybe create a text, you know, new here to whatever number, one, two, three, four, five, six, and fill out our digital card. Uh, invite people to make a faith decision, follow up with them personally. Do you know, and you'll hear this on the show uh, in upcoming interviews, but mega churches are making phone calls to build relationships with people that they've identified. Uh, challenge people to do something in response to the message, not just watch something on screen. So you got to turn viewers into engagers if you really want people not to ignore you. Because you've done this a million times, right? You've found, you've Googled something, clicked on a blog post, got your answer and left. You don't even know what blog post you were on, right? That's what some people are doing to you. So you want to turn viewers into engagers. Okay, second way to get people to ignore what you do online is say predictable things in a predictable way. So um, I'll tell you, this is really hard to do. I spent a lot of time figuring out how to title blog posts, podcast episodes, et cetera, et cetera. But let me give you a, uh, a clear example. So let's say someone's writing a leadership post called Five Keys to Building a Winning Team. Eh, it's okay, not bad for a title, but here's the boring way to headline the post. Be committed, build trust, cooperate, empower your team, contribute. You hear those things, you're like, I'm already asleep, okay? It sounds like every vanilla seminar delivered in a beige room I've ever been to. Like be committed, build trust, cooperate, empower your team. I know that stuff, right? So you want to say those things, but say them differently. So instead of saying, be committed, you might say, demonstrate radical commitment. You see how that's stronger? Or what about instead of saying, build trust, you say, kill distrust. Or empower your team. What about saying, build leaders, not doers? You see, all of a sudden you're like, wait, demonstrate radical commitment, kill distrust, build leaders, not doers? Okay, I gotta, I gotta read that. Now, your content may be the same, but your language is interesting enough not to bore people. So you got to say familiar things in an unfamiliar way. Um, number three, <laughs> here's how to get people to ignore it. You, you talk about yourself a lot. I tell myself this all the time. Nobody cares about me. I tell my staff, nobody cares about you. You know what people care about themselves. The reason you've listened this far is you're hoping to get something out of it, okay? 
That's it. Now, I still think it's great to take people behind the scenes into your life. That's what we try to do even in this episode. But I see so many church leaders and other leaders talking about themselves and their church or organization ad nauseum. So uh, let's dissect that a little bit further. Some people might be saying, you know, hey, X church this weekend, I'm going to be talking about, I promise you, nobody woke up this morning wondering what you're talking about this weekend. Uh, or you might say, we have this exciting new event coming up. And people are like, I don't care. Um, but obviously that's important. What you're talking about this weekend is important. But maybe you want to say it with something instead of like, hey, this weekend I'm going to be talking about, maybe you start with the reader by saying, or listener or viewer, hey, maybe you're wondering what God is doing in the middle of coronavirus. You're like, oh yeah, I've had that question. Great. Well, that's what I'm going to be talking about this weekend. See, but you led with the listener not with you. Another way to say it, hey, we have this exciting new event coming up. Um, well, what about this? If you ever wondered how to meet new people, it's like, yeah, I've wondered how to meet new people. See, you've taken their problem and tried to solve it. Church leaders are great at trying to answer questions nobody is asking. Or how about this? I have an amazing opportunity. You've heard that a million times online. Uh, what about reangling that to say, if you've watched Tiger King three times and everything else on Netflix, then I got something for you, <laughs> right? So you just got to think about that. Uh, how about this number four? You offer no real value. So even though your content is free, people paid with their time, something that unlike money, they can never get back. You'll never get back the time you spend on this podcast, even if you listen at 2x speed. And I hope that this is offering real value to you solving problems that you have to solve. Uh, number five, and this is huge, you keep ignoring your email list, okay? People, they love social media, it's so great. But I gotta tell you, in this pandemic, on my list of 61,000 leaders, I've had open rates of 30 to 33% on a list that big. Sublist will push 70% for an open rate. So email isn't sexy, interesting, doesn't get a lot of online attention. But if you really want to attract and connect with people, email is one of your best strategies. All right, number six, this is a long what I'm thinking about, but I am thinking about this. Number six, you get so worried about making it perfect, you never post anything. I talk to so many leaders. I'm going to launch a podcast. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, you record your video and you're like, ah, it's not good enough. Listen, as Steve Jobs used to say, real artists ship. And he's right. You have to ship. I make mistakes all the time. I, I sent out an email this week with the wrong link to 61,000 people. I had to apologize. We spent an hour like backtracking from that. But you know what? I shipped. And, and by the end of the day, 20,000 people had read that post that we were linking to. So just ship. You're not always going to get it right. You don't want to make a ton of mistakes. But perfectionism is the enemy of progress. And then number seven, and this one's really big. This more goes to your soul, but you try to be someone else. The, the reason people aren't following you is you're trying to be someone else. So I have leaders I admire that I thought, man, I wish I was more like them, as smart as them, funny as them, or as, as articulate as them. Um, but the problem is trying to be like them gives you a very short shelf life. Uh, you are playing a very long game. Online is probably the future. And that is a long time. The future is a long time. So I don't always like everything I write. I don't like everything I voice. I don't like everything I shoot. Um, but the good news is it's me. And that means every day, as inadequate as that feels, I get to roll out of bed and bring the message that's been building inside of me. And you get to do the same thing. I love the, I don't know whether it was Oscar Wilde, the internet fights about these things, but 
you know, that old quote, be yourself, everyone else is already taken. Yeah, that's decent theology too. So, hey, if you want more on this, I've got a written form of this over at my blog. We will link to it in the show notes. So you can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 335 and find it there. Or just search uh, my name and the top seven reasons everyone ignores the online content you produce. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope this has been helpful. We are back next week with the long-awaited episode with Mike Todd and so much more good stuff coming up. Really appreciate you cheering for you. And uh, yeah, I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.